Imagine if medicine actually looked at you as a whole, opposed to looking at you as a bunch of separate systems. Dive into Integrative Wellness Radio with Dr. Nick and Dr. Nicole to learn more about the top trends in integrative medicine, to learn about what the limitations are with testing and what you can do to start your health journey. Welcome, everyone. So we are here and we are talking all about autoimmunity. Today, specifically, as we embark on the month of talking about autoimmunity, today I'm more so trying to give you a foundation to understand the things that nobody is talking about when it comes to autoimmunity. I think it's safe to say that many of us are being told that our body just turns on itself and autoimmunity is something that could be genetic or it could just be a faulty immune system and that there's really nothing that we can do about it other than take a medication when it gets bad enough or it gets extremely symptomatic. So overall, when we talk tonight, we're really going to understand that that is definitely not 100% accurate. There is a lot of reasons why the immune system can be stressed and can be triggered to start an attack on the human tissue. So we're going to really just uncover some of the things that people are not talking about. And we're also going to understand some of the limitations with the testing that you may have had already. And then of course, I'm going to tell you some really awesome stories about people that we've worked with that have dealt with all different types of autoimmune conditions. But again, tonight, I really want you guys to walk away understanding that you don't know what you don't know. It's impossible for you to understand the origin of your autoimmune condition if you have not had the right testing. We're also going to bust through some of the myths about autoimmunity just happens and it's genetic and there's nothing you can do about it. So really being able to uncover, you know, really good quality information about how you can actually start taking charge of your autoimmune condition. Because at the end of the day, for me, it's not about the diagnosis. It's actually about what is the root cause? Because as complicated as you may feel that you are, because you have so many different symptoms going on, you're tired, you can't sleep, you're fatigued, your stomach hurts, your thyroid is off, you might assume that all of those things are separate. And that's because that's the way we've been programmed to think about our bodies and our health. But at the end of the day, all of it's connected. And there's going to be one major foundational problem that is creating that cascade effect of all those symptoms that you have. So if we do the right testing and we ask better questions, we can actually decipher what is that foundational problem. And once we work on that, we start to see so many symptoms dissipate. And it's always interesting because people come to me and they're like, okay, well, what are you doing for this? What are you doing for my thyroid? What are you doing for my weight loss? And I'm just like, that's just not how it works. It works by figuring out what's the root and let's do what we need to do, which might be a few things to fix that. And then you're going to see those changes that you're looking for. So setting the foundation for understanding autoimmunity and really understanding too, why does integrative medicine, functional medicine, why does that even exist? Why are people talking about that? Why are people seeking it out? So first and foremost, my, this is my personal opinion. My personal opinion is that the specialties and subspecialties in medicine are one of the biggest detriments. And I say this because one of the biggest detriments is the fact that if you have a gastrointestinal issue, you're going to be working with a gastroenterologist. If you have depression, you might be working with a psychologist or a psychiatrist. 
But the best part about that is 95% of your serotonin, which is your feel-good hormone, is actually made in your gut. So your IBS or your Crohn's or your ulcerative colitis can easily be a huge culprit behind why you don't emotionally feel your best. So when we work with all these separate physicians and nobody talks to each other, we often feel like we're falling apart. We feel like we have all of these issues. We're on medications for all of these issues and we're not necessarily getting anywhere. We're not necessarily getting better. We're not always necessarily seeing the changes that we hope for. So overall, you know, one of the biggest things is that if we can look at the body and look at physiology, we can understand the bigger picture. And that is what allows us to actually figure out what is the root cause. And if we figure out the root cause, we also move away from this idea that one pill is going to fix us or one surgery is going to fix us. I really, really wish it was that easy, but unfortunately it's not. And especially when it comes to autoimmunity, when people talk to me about their Hashimoto's or Graves disease and they say that they're taking a medication, especially with Hashimoto's, they're taking a thyroid medication to, you know, stabilize their thyroid. It's an immune system issue. It is not necessarily just a thyroid issue. So if you think you're just going to take Synthroid or some other synthetic form of, of thyroid hormone and you're going to get anywhere, you're not because you're not addressing the fact that there is an immune system issue. So the foundation, let's think about what does the immune system actually do? Because if we get back to the actual basics, this is going to make a lot of sense to you guys. So I kind of took two definitions that I found um, about the immune system. One is it recognizes the cells that make up your body and will rid anything unfamiliar. It destroys germs, bacteria, viruses, and parasites. Another definition, the immune system is the body's defense against infectious organisms and other invaders. Okay, so if we have an infection in our body, I don't care if your doctor found it or not, all of us are petri dishes of infections. And that's because of the food that we eat. That is because of the things that we touch. That's because of our grimy cell phones. You think a toilet seat has germs? Your cell phone has like quadruple, probably more germs on it than a toilet seat. So everything we do, everything we touch, everything we eat has bacteria, viruses, parasites on it. It's more so important, can your immune system handle these things, which we're gonna talk about. But overall, if the immune system's job is to fight off a foreign invader, maybe that's a bacteria, maybe that's a virus, maybe it's a parasite, maybe it's a toxin, maybe it's mercury because you have a boatload of silver fillings in your mouth. Wouldn't it make sense that the immune system is potentially fighting the bad thing, the, the foreign invader that is hanging out in the tissue where you have an autoimmune condition. So like sit with that for a minute. And I'm gonna break this down a little bit further. So think about your thyroid. Your thyroid is extremely close to your tonsils. It's extremely close to your mouth, your teeth, your gums. Your sinus is also drained into your, into your tonsils and then also into your throat. There is so much opportunity for your thyroid to be compromised by different types of infections and toxins. So what I mean by that is if you have a boatload of metal in your mouth, 
Maybe you have a bunch of implants. Maybe you have a bunch of fillings. Maybe you have uh, a bridge, whatever the case may be. Those metals leach into your tissues and get into your lymph nodes, which then can affect your thyroid. So your immune system's coming to the scene to clean everything up. And unfortunately, your thyroid is in the line of fire. So now you start to have an inflamed thyroid. Inflammation, autoimmune, practically the same thing. That's why when you take immunosuppressants like biologics to Sabri, metformin, things like that, and they shut down your immune system, you feel better. And you feel better because it shut down your inflammatory reaction. But again, we're not fixing the problem here. If anything, we're making it worse. So this applies everywhere. Lupus. One of the most common things that I find associated with lupus is Lyme disease. You know why? Because lupus is an autoimmune attack on the connective tissue. Lyme disease loves connective tissue. It burrows itself in connective tissue. It could be a knee. It could be a. Uh, it could be your muscles. It could be an elbow. It could be your lymph nodes. It could be anywhere. So. There is a huge, huge, huge connection when it comes to a stressed out autoimmune reaction and infections or, again, toxins. So think about it. Going back when we said everything is separate. So who's the doctor that diagnoses infections? Infectious disease doctors. The only time you go to an infectious disease doctor is if you have reoccurring fevers that nobody can figure out what's wrong with you, or you have reoccurring diarrhea that nobody can figure out what's wrong with you. That's the only time you really go to an infectious disease doctor. Otherwise, you're working with some other type of physician in the area that you have pain, symptoms, or an ailment. So you're working with your gastroenterologist who is diagnosing you with an autoimmune condition like ulcerative colitis or Crohn's, but he's not necessarily looking. Do you have a parasite? Do you have bacteria? Do you have a virus? Do you have something else in your gut? I will tell you, every single time you eat produce, I don't care if it's organic, I don't care if you clean it 75 times with vinegar, everything you eat has bacteria on it. So it's very feasible that you have bad bacteria in your gut. But if it gets completely overloaded, and then you have a lack of the good bacteria, that's when it becomes a bigger problem. And one of the biggest reasons why we have a lack of the good bacteria right now is because there's tons of antibiotics in the food that we eat, and there's also chlorine in the water that you drink. Chlorine will strip all of the good bacteria out of your system. So there is a huge, huge imbalance that's going on here. We're overloaded with a bunch of bad organisms that are antibiotic resistant, that are called superbugs, and then we're lacking all of the good bacteria because we're constantly using hand sanitizer. We're taking antibiotics for every little sniffle that we have. So we're literally completely just imbalancing the system, which is part of the reason why we have immune systems that are so triggered. But in addition to that, not only are we being exposed to these organisms, we're also then being exposed to pesticides and herbicides and Roundup. That's what this whole GMO conversation is about. So every single patient that we work with is toxic with something called glyphosate. Glyphosate is the primary um, constituent in Roundup. It is also sprayed on every single farm in the U.S. if it is not an organic farm. So we are ridden with this specific neurotoxin, which is completely throwing off our gastrointestinal system. 
So most people that I work with that have celiac, they don't really have celiac. They have, they have glyphosate poisoning. So we have to think beyond what we're being told because I'm in my 30s. And some of you might be younger, some of you might be older. But for those of you that are older, did you have friends that had all these autoimmune conditions? Did you have friends that had allergies? Did you go to school in a school that they had peanut-free rooms, classrooms? Like, I didn't see any of that, and I'm not even that old. So there is a huge shift that's going on, and we need to really start thinking about, like, what the heck is this? Like, what is causing all of this? And a huge part of the puzzle is industrial farming and how much toxicity we are being exposed to. So let's break this down a little bit further when it comes to the immune system. So we're talking about, you know, these different reasons why you can develop an autoimmune condition. And that can be because you have toxins or infections that your immune system is trying to fight. But the bigger question is, is, well, well, why is my immune system having such a negative reaction? Because technically, if you think about it, that's our immune system's job. Its job is to get rid of the bad stuff. So why would it start to dysfunction or become overly stressed? When we talk about um, our immune system, our immune system is not just like, oh, it's our immune system. We have like little like cells that are labeled immune system in our body. But we have various organs that are immune organs. So one of the main uh, immune organ is our tonsils and our adenoids. Then we also have our lymph nodes, which are everywhere. Everybody thinks of lymph nodes in the neck because you think like, oh, when I'm sick, all this hurts. So you have lymph nodes literally top of your head all the way down to your toes. Then on your left rib cage, you have your spleen. So people sometimes know of the spleen because if you ever had mono, they'll monitor your spleen to make sure it doesn't get too big. So again, it would get big because it's inflamed because you have a virus. Then you have your thymus gland, which is in your chest, um, attached to your heart. You have a bunch of immune system um, cells going on in your gut. And then you have your appendix. So out of all those that I just described, how many of you have had your tonsils removed? How many have had your adenoids removed or both? How many have had your appendix removed? How many of you were told that you don't need tonsils? You don't need an appendix. They're not even important organs. We don't even really know what they do. It's crazy to me that doctors say this, but that is the reality of it. All of those organs are immune organs. So if they have become completely ridden with bacteria or toxicity, that's when they become inflamed to the point that you potentially have to get them removed. I'm not saying that people shouldn't get these things removed, but I think we should be thinking beyond, oh, I removed it and my problem is solved. Because when I have this conversation with people in my clinic, they say to me, they're like, but I got my tonsils removed and I felt a ton better. And I go, that's great, but what's happening now is all that now goes right into your lymph nodes. Guess what? You have lymph vessels. They move. So now via your lymph vessels, you can get whatever was in your tonsils, like strep. Now that's going to get into other places of your body. So it's not necessarily always about the symptoms. It's about thinking about the bigger picture and just really thinking uh, rationally about anatomy. You know, your sinuses, if your tonsils are jacked up, chances are you have something going on in your sinuses that's continually leaching into your, into your throat as well. So these are all things to be considered opposed to just, oh, I got these organs removed and that's kind of the end of the story.
So some of the signs that your lymphatic system is congested. So one of them is you have varicose veins. Another one is you have headaches. You have water retention. You have fibrocystic or dense breasts. You constantly get swollen glands or lymph nodes. Most people don't even know that they have swollen glands, but they say, oh, I have neck pain. My neck hurts all the time. Oh, my neck, my neck. If you go to a chiropractor or get physical therapy and your neck continues to hurt, it's probably not a structural issue. It's actually probably related to your lymphatic system being compromised. Uh, in addition, you can have poor circulation because your veins and your lymph system, they work hand in hand. Another thing is that you have, you can't lose weight or you have cellulite or you're getting a lot of um, painful breaths around your period as a female. These are all signs that your lymphatic system is not working optimally. You can't get rings on and off some days is another one. So you need to start thinking about these things because the most commonly overlooked system is the lymphatic system. There is no specialist for the lymph, maybe an immunologist, but nobody is necessarily giving you recommendations on how to get your lymphatic system working more optimally. And this is a huge focus in our practice and it has been a game changer for our patients. Getting that system to work is what primarily repairs the immune system. So the other really interesting thing about those of you that are listening, because you have an autoimmune condition related to, say, your thyroid, when you talk about the thyroid and how the thyroid can be associated with maybe you have tonsil issues, maybe you have clogged lymph nodes, maybe you have things going on in your sinuses, all of those structures are also connected to your brain. So when we have a thyroid condition or we have jaw issues or dental issues or headaches or sinus issues, we need to also start thinking, what's going on in our neurological system? Because if things can't drain here and you're having all this lymphatic backup and you're having swelling and water retention and you're, you're having the varicose veins, chances are you're not getting proper blood flow and circulation and drainage from your head as well. And this is one of the biggest culprits as to why there is so much neurological decline right now. Alzheimer's and dementia, those statistics are skyrocketing. And everyone's sitting back saying, well, we don't know why. And we're dumping all this money into research, but nobody is actually looking at basic anatomy. And we're not looking at the fact that what if there is a roadblock? What if there is literally clogged lymphatic system and like tight muscles and neck issues and jaw issues structurally that are all affecting the brain's ability to drain toxins out. Yes, your brain does get exposed to toxins. And our we have a very, very specific part of our immune system called our lymphatic system. It is the, the lymphatic system of the brain. And the more research that they do on cadavers, dead people, they are finding that there is massive there is massive toxicity in the glymphatic system, which for those of you that don't know, we have a barrier around our brain called the blood-brain barrier that is supposed to protect our brains from all this bad stuff. 
but a lot of us are struggling with something called a leaky blood brain barrier. And this is coming back to the massive amounts of toxicity that we're being exposed to. And part of this can be what's in your mouth, dental implants, uh, cavities, fillings, etc. And a lot of this is the toxins on the food that we eat. So we are being exposed to a massive amount of toxicity that is really compromising all of these immune cells and being a huge trigger for the autoimmune conditions. So the other thing that I always explain to my patients to break this down even more is that when it comes to an autoimmune condition, if you come to me and we're dealing with, say, a thyroid autoimmune condition, I am not going to sit there and like go on this crazy protocol for your thyroid. It's just not going to happen because if it's an immune system issue, then we need to look at the big grand picture of what is stressing your immune system. And we need to make sure that we address all of those immune organs like the tonsils, the appendix, the gut, the spleen. If you're don't, if you're missing them, we we still obviously support the others. But we also need to make sure that the detox pathways are working. And the detox pathways of the body, the main ones, liver, which liver dumps into the gut and then everything leaves via a bowel movement. And then kidneys are a big uh, filtration system. So when we are dealing with an immune system overload, we need to fix the foundation. We need to make sure that you're actually eliminating your toxins out and you're not just holding everything. Some of the signs of this is that you have kidney stones or you're urinating a lot or you're um, dealing with chronic UTIs, bladder infections. Sometimes that can even confu be confused with vaginal issues or you have a lot of right-sided rib cage pain, or you're not pooping, those are all signs that you're not detoxing. So if I cough on you, or I should say, if somebody coughs on me and coughs on you, I'll be fine because my pathways work, you're not gonna be fine, you're gonna acquire that virus. So it's not always about you know, what the abundance of these toxins or infections are, it's more so asking the question of why is your body struggling so much? Why is your immune system so fragile and compromised? Why are your detox pathways not working? And all of these things are fixable. You know, don't get me wrong. There are genetic predispositions. Like for me, my weak point is my lymph, my lymphatic system. So for me, like instead of me thinking that I constantly need to be on a multivitamin or vitamin D, I always make sure that I sweat. Like sweating is the best way for me to keep my lymphatic system healthy. And I do that primarily by working out and I also do that by using an infrared sauna. So there's other people that their liver is their weak point. And the way that you can know this is if you're the person who drinks a cup of coffee and you're like wired for three days or you're the person that can barely take a half of a Tylenol because it affects you so much. If you're very overly sensitive to medications, alcohol, coffee, that means your liver is an under metabolizer. So what that means is that you're going to need to support that organ to make sure that it is detoxing efficiently. So you might just take some liver supplements consistently, or you might do a liver cleanse every few months. There's all different ways to support these systems. 
And this is one of the greatest things about the clients that we work with is they learn this about themselves and they know what to do to be proactive once they move on from working with us. They know that, okay, if I'm feeling a little off, I know that I need to do a little like liver detox or I need to get on some liver supplements or whatever the case may be. So it's very, very interesting when you are, when you're empowered because you know what your body actually needs. So this was a patient that was presenting with migraines. Um, so the, I wanted to put this in here because when somebody comes to me with migraines, I am not sitting there being like, oh, migraines must be genetic. I start to think, what's going on in their lymphatic system? Do they have improper blood flow to their brain? Do they have improper blood flow out of the brain? Do they have toxicity coming from dental work that could be affecting their brain? Do they have infections that are maybe in the tonsils or the sinuses that are affecting their brain? Do they have ear issues? Do they have clogged ears? Do they have infections in their ears? Um, did they have tubes in their ears which left scar tissue in there? Do they have unstable blood sugar? Are they hypoglycemic? Are they eating too much sugar? Do they have gut issues? Those are all of the things that need to be considered with migraines. Your migraines are just not a head issue. They could be involved with so many other things that are happening in your body. So this patient specifically was a very interesting case because as she came into my office, I was evaluating her just visually. And I started to notice that um, she had a very blank stare on her face. Um, and I, one of the things I, I always ask questions, I was like, have you had Botox? Because sometimes the Botox can create a little bit of paralysis in the face, which you know, they, you can't really tell if they're, um, you know, smiling or upset or, or having different facial expressions. So we ruled that out. That wasn't part of the puzzle. Um, I started to notice her eyes were tracking really improperly. It's something called nystagmus. Uh, and then after that, I was just like, okay, I want to do a little bit further of a neurological exam on you. And I literally just had her start walking. And I noticed that she was walking with her legs very far apart and shuffling a bit. And the other thing I noticed was she wasn't moving her arms. So, um, for those of you that maybe have dealt with this with a family member, you might be, you know, kind of like ding, ding, ding. I know what that is. Um, but this was pretty much early onset of, of, uh, Parkinson's disease, the bioresonance scan that I did. This is a really amazing technology that we have in our practice, but I can get information quite fast through using this technology, which analyzes down to the DNA level. So what we found was that she was actually having massive occlusion to the vascular system in the brain. And particularly, she was having issues in something called the circle of Willis, um, which was causing her to not get proper blood supply specifically to her hippocampus, which is where all of your dopamine is made. It also plays a very big role in your memory. So pretty much what was happening is this woman was very well on her way to Parkinson's disease because of a massive vascular issue that was happening in her brain. So for this, you might be thinking, well, how the heck do you work with that? Like, is this person just doomed? And no, that is not the case. Um, a lot of this uh, circulatory issue came back to the fact that she had massive sinus issues, she had a lot of dental issues, and she also had a very compromised lymphatic system. So as we started to work together, we started to lift that burden off of the body, and she literally had her neurological system bouncing back. It was completely amazing to see how much 
her uh, neurological system improved just by getting the lymphatic system working, which then in turn helped her circulatory system tremendously. But another really interesting factor too is that when we're dealing with autoimmune conditions, uh, we don't always understand the limitations with some of the testing. And I'm gonna go through a bunch of different limitations, but number one, which I found so fascinating when I learned this was you have to have more than 70% destruction of your myelin sheath before you'll ever see that on an MRI. So the people that are having all these wacky neurological issues and they're trying to like figure out what the heck is going on and their doctors are trying to rule in or out is this multiple sclerosis or you've been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis is that you have to have more of a 70% loss of your myelin sheath before it will ever show up on an MRI. So when your doctor does an MRI of your head for whatever reason, and they say, oh yeah, there's a little bit of changes, but it's no big deal, don't worry about it. It is a big deal. You need to, you need to dig deeper. You need to figure out what's going on because the last thing you want is to be that person that all of a sudden you don't know where your car is anymore and you're getting lost because it happens fast. For those of you that have had a family member with dementia or Alzheimer's, I think it's safe to say that most of it is fast. It's all of a sudden like a, a switch was flipped and you're just like, how did this happen so fast? So the most minor changes on an MRI or, or a CT scan of the brain are significant. The other really interesting thing too is when it comes to amyloid plaques, amyloid plaques, there's two parts to this puzzle. Amyloid plaques are what often shows up on the brain that can determine if you have multiple sclerosis. But a lot of times, amyloid plaques can be confused with iron deposits, and those iron deposits come from a hyperactive immune system. The other thing, too, is that amyloid plaques sometimes are the immune system trying to encapsulate an infection through calcium. So you can have different calcium deposits. This is not just the brain. This could also be in the lungs that is literally trying to encapsulate an infection to protect you. This is the most common reason why people have thyroid nodules is because the immune system is coming to the scene to encapsulate the infection or toxin that your thyroid is being inflamed by. So when it comes to thyroid conditions, I know we've talked a lot about this tonight, but I think one of the most fascinating cases that I ever worked with was a case of Hashimoto's and Graves. This is one person that had both, pretty rare. So we did testing on this woman because she was having these crazy highs and lows. Like she was going through days of being wired, heart palpitations, not sleeping, then shifting into massive fatigue, couldn't get out of bed for a couple of days. And she ended up literally having both Graves and Hashimoto's. So when we really dug in to try to understand this of why, how, etc., it turned out that she had, uh, she was actually in her early 70s, by the way. She had a lot of dental issues since she was a kid. Um, she had a lot of fillings over time, tons of root canals. She had a lot of foreign materials in her mouth, essentially. So she was on a great track. She was working with a nutritionist. You know, she was trying to uh, get healthy. She was changing her diet. 
And then she really wanted to make sure that um, she was covering all of her bases. And she started to learn a little bit more about all the dental work and all the fillings in her mouth could potentially be part um, or potentially be harming her. So she went and she decided to get them removed. So she went and got all of her silver fillings removed. Um, they removed, I think, 10 in one sitting. She went to a traditional dentist to do this. And it was very shortly after that this thyroid issue kicked in, or I should say the symptoms kicked in, and then we finally were able to diagnose it. So the thing you have to understand about this is that not all dentists are the same. There are very specific dentists called biological dentists that know how to properly remove fillings. And what's crazy about this is if you see a biological dentist that has removed fillings properly, both he, his assistant, and the patient are practically in a hazmat suit. So these materials that we just put into people's mouths are very, very harmful. Um, they are neurotoxic and they are toxic in your mouth as well as even being removed improperly because as they pop them out, they release vapor and that vapor goes into the lymphatic system and into the sinuses. So this is what completely threw this woman's thyroid into disarray. And it was definitely a really difficult thing to stabilize, but we were successfully able to stabilize it. And I'm very fortunate that she came to see me so soon because this is a person that potentially could have gone down a road of dementia or Alzheimer's because if she had that significant of an effect on the thyroid, there's no possible way she didn't have an effect on her neurological system as well. So at this point, um, for those of you that have been listening the whole time, it makes sense that there can be a piece of the puzzle that hasn't been acknowledged yet. And that piece of the puzzle is, is your uh, autoimmune condition tied to an infection or is it tied to a toxicity? Because I have never worked with an autoimmune condition that wasn't. And once we figure out the roots, it is actually pretty simple to work with these patients and give them relief, of course, but also to be able to stabilize and even reverse their issues. So at the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know. There's no possible way for you to know any of these things, but also if you've never had better testing. If they just tested your thyroid antibodies and said, hey, you have Hashimoto's, end of story, take this pill. Or, hey, we did uh, a colonoscopy, you have Crohn's disease, end of story, take this pill. There's no way for you to know that maybe there's a toxicity or maybe there's an infection. So really, we want to stop accepting these things as our new normal, and we want to understand the bigger picture. I'm not going to sit here and say that these are 100% correlated because I personally find that anything can cause anything. But some of the really interesting ties is that Epstein-Barr virus it has a huge link to multiple sclerosis. Um, rheumatoid arthritis and psoriatic arthritis have a big connection to Lyme disease as well as mold toxicity. I find that H. pylori infections, which is a bacterial infection of the stomach, is extremely tied to reflux and autoimmune pernicious anemia, thyroid conditions, etc. So there is huge ties that have been studied with autoimmune conditions and very, very specific types of infections. So some of the biggest, biggest myths about autoimmune conditions is that they are genetic, and that's the end of the story.
that you have had the best testing and that autoimmunity is completely irreversible. So number one is that your autoimmune condition might, you might have a genetic predisposition, but that does not necessarily mean that you will get that condition. Number two with this is that myself, I've done this as well as my mentor. And what we found, I think probably some of you have heard of 23andMe. 23andMe is the uh, really popular genetic test that a lot of people are doing. Um, you're doing it sometimes for ancestry and a lot of people are doing it to get their SNPs um, for health purposes. So what I found really interesting is I had um, a couple of families that did, they all did the 23andMe. And everybody's talking about MTHFR, MTHFR, and um, how they need, everybody needs to be on methylated folate and all these different things. So what I've seen is that the children or child has a MTHFR mutation, but the parents don't. So if we're sitting here trying to say that genetics are always, or our genetics are 100% dictated by our parents, that's not true anymore. And this is what we call epigenetics. And epigenetics has revealed that all different types of environmental factors and stressors will change the expression of your genes. And in this day and age, with the amount of toxicity that we are exposed to from our personal products to the dental work, to the roundup in our food, to the other types of herbicides, there is a lot, a lot of room for our genes changing and our children's genes changing. So if you've gone to your gastro and they did celiac genetic testing, and that was the only thing they did, and they said, you have celiac, that doesn't cut it, in my opinion, because there is a lot of other testing that needs to be done to really determine, do you truly have celiac? Because you could easily have a gluten allergy or sensitivity with no celiac. You could also have celiac without having any symptoms. There is something called silent celiac disease, which is unfortunately really common. But I would say the most fascinating thing kind of tying into everything we've already talked about is that I've never actually worked with somebody who came in with celiac or we did testing to solidify that they had celiac and they didn't have massive gut infections and massive glyphosate poisoning, which is, again, the primary compound on the GMO foods. So we're sitting here saying, you have celiac, don't ever eat gluten again, end of story. But there's so much more to the story. There is so much more to be considered. And these people, it starts with the gluten. And then all of a sudden, it gets more and more that they can't eat other foods. When people have true celiac, there's actually a bunch of companies that are now offering these cross-reactive panels. Because what they're finding is that if you have a bad enough allergy to gluten, chances are you also have an allergy to corn and soy and uh and rice and all of the other things that are in your gluten-free products so it's not that people should be having all of these food allergies there is always going to be an underlying reason and that underlying reason is not always found by your traditional testing which is where we're going to go next but before i do that i want to um just give you a quick like tidbit on a 14 year old with celiac disease 
So one of the most common mistakes is this patient was specifically diagnosed through endoscope, camera down the throat, and they were looking around, they found inflammation, they did a biopsy, and they said, you have celiac disease. But depending on where the biopsy is taken from, they can easily confuse celiac with a different condition, which is called autoimmune perditious anemia. So let me just make this as simple as possible. You have your stomach, which is on your left side of your rib cage. That is the very, very start of your gastrointestinal system. Your stomach then connects to your small intestine. So in the very, very start of your small intestine, you have these cells called parietal cells. These cells are help you absorb your nutrients, especially your B12. So what happens is if you get some bacteria or toxins into your stomach, usually this starts with some burping, some indigestion, some heartburn, you know, occasional tums will, will knock it out. So you start to have these symptoms. They're a little mild. Maybe they get worse with certain foods that you eat. Then it gets bad enough that you go in and you're like, all right, I got to get some testing because I'm really uncomfortable at this point. So then you pretty much go in and then they do the endoscope, they find the inflammation, they do the biopsy and they diagnose it with the celiac. But if they biopsied in the area of the parietal cells, they're easily telling you that you have celiac, but it's not celiac at all. It's actually this autoimmune pernicious anemia, which is gonna be the reason why you're constantly B12 deficient. Or if you take a B12, you're urinating fluorescent colors. So it's very, very, very important to understand that there is a bigger picture here. And this patient specifically was off of gluten and still feeling absolutely terrible. So again, it's not about just sitting back and saying, well, we don't really know, just deal with it. It's about doing better testing. Okay, so as we get into the testing, so first and foremost, when piggybacking off of the celiac conversation, and this is applicable to so many tests, but when you do blood testing for celiac, and you do the testing through LabCorp or Quest, which it is six different markers, but if you do a true celiac panel, a quality celiac panel that is looking at every single possible marker, there is over 20 markers. So if we're just doing six out of over 20, we can easily miss things. So when we think that, oh, well, the celiac panel through LabCorp, well, they told me that I'm fine, but I still feel terrible and I don't have celiac, you might have celiac, you might have something completely different going on. The point is, is that you potentially have not had the best testing to really, really figure out what's going on with you. So this was the slide that I was talking about. So the cross reactivity. So again, you go gluten free, and then you're eating all of the corn and the rice and the oats. And then you find that slowly you're starting to feel worse and worse. And then it actually turns out that you're having issues with all of these other foods because your problem is not just about wheat. It's about the fact that you have things in your gut that should not be there. So speaking about things in your gut that should not be there is one of the biggest limitations with testing, especially all this gut talk, is the fact that it is extremely, extremely difficult for you to find out if you have things in your gut that shouldn't be there, like parasites or bacteria or fungus or yeast. 
there is a lot of issues with the tests. There's a lot of issues with the blood tests. There's a lot of issues with colonoscopy, which first of all, colonoscopies do not look for infections. It just looks for inflammation. But even if your doctor is a little bit more advanced and he goes, you know what, let's do a stool sample. Let's see if there's something that comes up. So a stool sample, not the most glamorous process, but you do, you pretty much take a sample of your bowel movement and you send it to a lab. So the thing you have to understand, and this took me a long time to learn as a practicing physician, is that every time I did a stool sample with a patient, um, bacteria would come up, I would see their probiotics, I would sometimes see fungus, but I would never really see parasites. And I just kind of found that interesting because, you know, if you have pets, dogs, cats, you eat seafood, it's not uncommon to get exposed to parasites. So what I found out, um, and this was partly by default, um, I had a patient who was young and his mom said, um, we need to help him detox, but he will not take any supplements orally because he had a lot of sensory issues. He was actually on the spectrum. So mom said, I think the best thing that we can do is we can use a suppository to help him detox. And I said, if that's what you want to do, we'll do that. So she reached out to me, and this was after doing a stool sample, by the way. She reached out to me and said, I saw a worm. So we did another stool sample. Nothing came up. We did another stool sample, all three different companies. Nothing came up. And she goes, well, I've seen worms three times now, so what are we going to do about it? So we started to treat him for pinworm, which is what he had. And yes, he very much had, had a parasite issue. So the point of me telling you this is that you may have gone to a great gastro that did a stool sample on you, but if they only did a one-day sample, that's an issue. But also, if they took that sample and sent it out to a lab, that's an issue. Because 20 minutes after your bowel movement leaves your body, all of your uh, parasites will self-destruct and they are not going to be found in your sample. So it's actually more important to either go to a facility that takes that sample and puts it under a microscope, which unfortunately we don't really do here in the US, or you use other types of advanced technologies. Our personal technologies that we use is we use something called a bioresonance. Uh, we use a bioresonance, we also back that up with blood work, and then we also back that up with something else called autonomic response testing. So we're looking at a, ver a variety of different ways or a variety of different tests before we come to the conclusion of what's going on. Um, and then we obviously will be able to structure how to work with that. So the other thing, too, that has a lot of variables is autoimmune brain conditions. So there are many, many people that are dealing with an autoimmune brain condition that have no symptoms. Then there's a lot of people that have positive antibodies and have a lot of symptoms. So there are many, many variables when it comes to symptoms versus testing. I wanted to show you how many types of brain autoimmunity there are, because this test is something that I use in the practice. It's called Neural, Neural Zoomer Plus. And it's crazy because there used to be Neural Zoomer. Now there's Neural Zoomer Plus. AKA, they've had to advance the test and add more markers because this epidemic of autoimmunity and autoimmune brain conditions is becoming more and more. So there are so many different things that can get into the brain, past the blood-brain barrier, that your immune system is being triggered by. And then these are causing autism, Asperger's, dementia, Alzheimer's, etc. So there are many, many possibilities, and you can see the list goes on. 
So the other thing too, when it comes to the neurological system is when we are trying to figure out why does this person have ankylosing spondylitis? Why does this person have multiple sclerosis? Why does this person have Parkinson's disease or ALS? Sometimes we work with physicians that consider the fact that there might be some type of neurological infection because more and more physicians are acknowledging that neuroborreliosis is a real thing, which is pretty much when Lyme disease gets into the neurological system. So the interesting thing about this is they have been screwing up the testing for years. And they're just recently coming out with research saying that if you look for the spirochete, which I'll explain a little bit further, which is this squiggly little worm looking thing. If you're taking somebody's cerebral spinal fluid, which is what they take out when they do the spinal tap. So if you take that cerebral spinal fluid out and you put it under a microscope, and if you're looking for the squiggly worm looking thing, which is called a spirochete, you're never going to find it. Because when the Lyme disease is in, or the Lyme bacteria is in the cerebral spinal fluid, it actually looks like either a cyst, it looks like a little blob. So if your technician or analyst was looking for the spirochete, they pretty much will not find it because it's never going to be in that form. So there are so many people that are dealing with these debilitating neurological issues that are walking around with neurological Lyme disease and nobody's figuring it out. And all they're doing is they're getting put on all of these medications that shut down their immune system, which is causing the, the, the condition to get worse because the infection is multiplying. So this patient um, was interesting. They came in, um, they had really severe GERD, irritable bowel syndrome, um, severe hypoglycemia, um, low blood sugar to the point that they were fainting. So um, primarily like how this all connects together is that the patient came in, um, she was dealing with like a weak, she called it a weak stomach since she was young. The GERD started to kick in. It was pretty mild, you know, she's taking in occasional Tums here and there. Then it started to get a little bit worse. So then she got put on Nexium. Then, you know, she was having these uh, intermittent bouts of stomach pain and cramping that was like really, really painful that she had actually had to have an as needed antispasmodic medication to calm down the cramping. Eventually, she started to lean more towards constipation and then it was the blood sugar that kicked in. So the reason this is all connected is because your stomach being located. So stomach is on your left side. Pancreas is actually embedded to your stomach and connected to your small intestine. So the reason why this is important is because your pancreas regulates your blood sugar. So the blood sugar is going to be compromised if the pancreas is not functioning at its best. But the crazy thing about this is that the pancreas doesn't always become stressed because of your diet, because, oh, you're eating too much sugar, or you have a really poor diet. You can easily start having blood sugar issues because that infection that was in your stomach causing your GERD and causing your stomach pain and your cramping, because it ended up she had an infection called H. pylori. She also had a parasite called Giardia. So those infections were in her system for so long that they moved from the stomach into the small intestine and started to then affect her pancreas. And her pancreas was actually presenting with antibodies. AKA, she was having the early onset of autoimmune diabetes. She was having type 1 diabetes. 
So she was in her, uh, I think she was in her late 20s. So most of the time when you get an autoimmune um, or I, autoimmune diabetes, you get it really, really young. But we've been hearing about more and more people getting it as an adult. And part of the reason is how much stress our gut is under. And if you do get exposed to some type of infection that starts to affect your pancreas, your immune system is going to do its job. It's going to go to that area. It's going to start to fight that infection. And it is going to then cause damage to your gut as well as your pancreas. And this on paper is what we call autoimmunity. So last but not least is that autoimmunity is irreversible. And when it comes down to understanding the root cause, anything is possible. And the other thing too, it's all about what is causing the immune system to be so reactive? Is it because you have a ton of toxicity in your system? Is it because you have a boatload of infections in your system? Is it because your detox pathways don't work anymore because they're congested and they're overloaded? Is it because your lymphatic system is compromised? So the easiest way for me to explain this to you guys is I think we can all relate to the, the concept of how a vacuum works. If you have a vacuum, and you have this brand new vacuum, it has a filter in it. You continue to use your vacuum and the filter gets more and more full. And then it gets to the point that you either stop using the vacuum or you dump the filter so you can continue to use it. The same thing is happening in our bodies because of all the things we're being exposed to, if you know it or you don't, on a day-to-day -day basis. So your filters are at max capacity. And if they're at max capacity, you start to get puffy, you get inflamed, you get bloated, you can't lose weight, you start to have circulation issues, you start to have headaches, you have migraines, and then you have autoimmune conditions. So if you can't tell by now, very rarely do things look like the textbook. So it's very, very important for you guys to take away that if you don't look like the textbook, then how is the textbook protocol going to fix you, get you better, or potentially stabilize your condition? So for us to think that we're just going to put everybody on immune immunosuppressants or biologics to stabilize their autoimmunity, we're not going to get anywhere. You might feel better. You definitely feel better. Because like I said before, if you shut down the immune system, you shut down the inflammatory response. You shut down the inflammatory response, you're going to feel better. But you're not fixing the problem. And then people are like, you know, I'm feeling better. I think I'm going to try to come off my medication and they try to come off their medication, and they have a huge flare. And again, it's not because you need the medication or you need to be reliant on it, it's because you have just been on an immunosuppressant, you never actually fixed the root cause. You never actually dealt with the infections, you never dealt with the toxicity, you never dealt with the underlying problems. So I don't want you to think that you're just doomed, it's just about doing better testing. So. When it comes to better testing, uh, I want you guys to kind of understand the difference between conventional functional integrative, because some of you that are new to this, you might be looking at functional versus integrated medicine and be like, I aren't those the same thing. And I do this because there are some of you that have been down the road of functional medicine and maybe you feel like it didn't help you. So the biggest thing is that when you deal with conventional methods, we're dealing with that segregated system. We're dealing with, you go to the cardiologist for your heart, you go to the gastroenterologist for your gut, you go to the urologist for your urinary system, like everything is super separate and nobody's talking to each other. 
and most of the solutions are pharmacological or surgery based. Then you get into functional medicine and functional medicine is going to be doing more elaborate testing, really trying to decipher what is the root cause. But my only reason why I went from functional to integrative is because in functional medicine, I found my tools were really limited. My tools were primarily focusing on diet and supplementation, herbs, remedies, things like that. And I found that it was very difficult for people to fix themselves just through diet because there's so many things working against us with the food that we eat, even if we're being really disciplined with organic and everything else. But also, it's very hard to absorb nutrients if your gut is messed up or you're toxic. So I knew that I needed more tools in my toolbox. And one of my mentors, who's Dr. Klinghart, he said, don't call yourself integrative if all you do is diet and supplements. And my business is called Integrative Wellness Group, and it has been since day one. And that really got me thinking, and it, it got me expanding my mindset and evolving my practice. So we've moved into this integrative model, which is really about, yes, doing really, really amazing and elaborate testing to figuring out the root cause, but it's also then customizing and personalizing the approach to each person to know what supplements does your body need? What protocols does your body need? What is your best diet right now? Not forever, right now to help you get better. Do you need detox therapies? Do you need lymphatic therapies? Do you need neurological therapies? Because when you can customize that approach and make it integrative, you can get better in a fraction of the time. So one thing I always say, um, and it got a, a standing ovation the last time I spoke, which was pretty amazing, is um, if you if you value your health, don't let anyone tell you that you can't invest in it. Everybody at the end of the day values something different. And if you value a brand new iPhone every time it comes out, then you go get that brand new iPhone. You know, you, you do you. But if you value your health and someone else doesn't, that's okay. But don't let that person make you feel guilty about that. Because that's just such a common thing that I hear when people are embarking on t getting themselves better is that, you know, oh, well, you know, people don't understand why I'm doing this or people think I'm selfish. And I just find that to be super interesting because at the end of the day, you know, we can sit here and I can judge somebody for spending money on something that I don't value. But who am I to say that? Because if that's what they value, they should be able to spend their money on it. So it's really just a matter of if you value your health and being able to get your health back is just so, so significant. And I think we forget that healthcare is supposed to be about answers and solutions. And we usually just settle for, well, you have an autoimmune condition and we don't really know why, but just take this medication and let's hope for the best. And we're never actually demanding more, more answers and we're settling for a protocol that's really just putting a band-aid on the symptoms and not actually giving us a solution. So some of the ways that we get to the bottom of what is the root cause for our patients is we do some really, really customized testing. And when people come in, we do um, an onboarding process. And this onboarding process takes you through all of these different tests. We test everything from food allergies, um, heavy metal toxicity, mineral deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies. We do very comprehensive blood work, autoimmune markers, immune markers, mold toxicity markers, infectious markers, 
um, your traditional thyroid markers. We run all of that. But my favorite part is the autonomic response testing. And some of you may have heard of this. Um, it was created by Dr. Klinghart, but it takes all the guessing out. So one of the biggest things that I always explain to people, because they're like, well, how is all of this different? Is that there is no more guessing. Anything that we tell you that is good for you, if we talk about diet, if we talk about supplements, if we talk about therapies, everything has been tested against your body and your DNA. And we do that through the autonomic response testing. So we test every supplement to say, is this good for this person's body? So there is no guessing, there is no wasting money, and there is no wasting time. So this is really, really significant because you are doing the most tailored approach to get your body better in a short amount of time. So one of the reasons we have customized this approach is partly because we were struggling to get quality information from all of the different labs that we were using. We used to do everything from very expensive stool samples, saliva tests, uh, cortisol testing, hormone testing, and all of these were separate private labs and they racked up two, three, four thousand $4,000 sometimes. And I really just didn't like the fact that someone has spent so much money before they actually even know what's wrong with them. And I wanted to figure out a way that I can get better information with a smaller price point so people can spend money on the more important part, which is getting better. So we really try to customize our onboarding process to do that. And it's been really, really successful, which is amazing. At the end of the day, too, is for those of you that are listening, that all you've been looking for is how can I stabilize this autoimmune condition? How can I get my life back? How can I figure out what I'm supposed to eat versus what am I not supposed to eat? Depending on your goals and what you can achieve with knowing your body and knowing what's going on is priceless. It really is. Because there are so many people that are looking for answers that just don't know where to find them. But, you know, there's a lot of other people that just want to take a pill and call it a day, which is totally fine as well. It's really, this is for the people that want to figure it out. Okay, guys, I really, really appreciate you being here with me. I just want you to know that I do this because I love it. Um, this is just one of my biggest passions is educating you guys to give you information you have never heard before. And I really do this to inspire you to take that first step. I know for me, like I said earlier, is that, you know, there were a lot of things that I settled for being my normal when it came to my health. But I'm just so grateful that I didn't necessarily just go blindly through my life because I could have been in really big trouble. And I say this because my testing revealed a lot of these issues that were problematic. But again, I kind of settled for my brain fog and my sleep issues and fainting and having heart palpitations. And I, I settled for all of those things. So it's very, very interesting being able to uncover that and, and get your body back and get your brain back. And it's crazy because when I went through my healing process, I literally remember being like, wow, I have been living in a fog and I had no freaking clue.
So, um, so I really hope that you, you know, are able to leverage this information because once you know what your body needs and you're able to take that first step to get better, that's when this becomes a breakthrough experience. So I appreciate you guys being here with me. Um, I hope you share this with others um, that are dealing with autoimmune conditions. And I really hope this was helpful. Um, so here's our website if you want to check it out. And I will see you guys next week for those of you that will continue to join me this month. All right, everyone. Have an amazing night. I will see you soon. We thank you for being a listener and subscriber to Integrative Wellness Radio. If you're looking to learn more about Integrative Wellness Group, as well as Dr. Nick or Dr. Nicole, you can check out integrativewellnessgroup.com.